This is the Fatty Joe Show, coming to you from Casa de Cary, deep in the forests of Nutmegerville. This show is dedicated to exploring pathways to better health from a holistic perspective. In each episode, we will explore such topics as nutrition, mental and emotional health, fitness, and more. I'm Yogi, your host, and I became interested in studying health after conventional health dogma became damaging and led me to become massively overweight. Against modern convention, I went on a keto lifestyle and I lost over 300 pounds and gained a level of control on my personal health that I never had before. Now I'm on a journey to find out what is myth and what is truth in the ever convoluted world of what is considered healthy. Come join me on a journey of discovery as I look for a path to improve total health. If you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. If you want to check out all of our social media links and recipes, head to carriebrown.com. Don't forget to leave a comment, like, and subscribe to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Fatty Joe Show. Take two. Today's guest is Gormy from Gormy Goes Keto and from the Fat Guy Forum podcast. He's a host a show that chronicles the journeys of several men as they go through their fat loss, um, either part of their journey as they're going or recounting what they did to get there. And Gormy is a fixture in the podcasting world as far as keto goes. He's a fixture in the keto world. He posts some incredible pictures of himself before he's went keto and versus now. And this isn't his only time of ever losing weight. So I want to welcome Gormy to the show and I want to have him give his superhero introduction. Well, thanks, man. I'm glad to be here. Like I said before, I would love to say that I was rocketed to Earth from another planet, and that's that's why I faced a lot of the challenges that I did, but that's not true. Um, I am someone who has dealt with weight issues his whole life. Very early on, I started that cycle of dieting and gaining weight back and sneak eating and all of those things that develop as a, as a part of those habits that build when you're very young. I was over 200 pounds at 10 years old. I was over 300 pounds at 16. In between, I was thin and big and thin and big and all of that. And eventually, I was 540 pounds at my heaviest. When I reached that point, I decided I needed to do something about it. I didn't decide I needed to do anything about it because I wanted to save my life or anything really noble. It was because I realized at 540 pounds, barely able to walk, I couldn't get a job. And I needed to pay rent and I needed to get a home, have a home and all of those things. So I discovered the paleo diet at that point. I really kind of get into that philosophy of ingredient quality mattering but I wasn't really kind of controlling the carb side of it or anything along those lines. And I lost weight. I lost a lot of weight. I went from 540 pounds to 210 pounds in several years. And it was my 40th birthday, 2013, that I was 210 pounds. And less than six months later, I was 480 pounds. I had done zero work on what life would look like after weight loss. I had done zero work on handling the mental and emotional side of things for myself. I just basically white knuckled myself through seeing the scale move. And I paid the price for that with that rapid weight gain. Like I, that summer, I can remember waking up daily feeling bigger, like physically feeling bigger, you know, going through sizes of clothes every week. It was 
wild and insane. And a lot of people don't ever want to believe that side of my story, but I have pictures to document it. So it's, it's there, it's real. And I just accepted that that was what my life was going to be. I was back up near 500 pounds. And the only thing I think that kept me from getting even bigger was that my blood sugar was wildly out of control. I could tell that by all the symptoms I was experiencing. And I just accepted that I was going to die. Um, I'd even at one point written a letter to my family in case I didn't wake up and they could find it. And it would just tell them not to be upset that I passed away, as sad as that sounds. But eventually things changed and I realized my perspective changed and I needed to live. I needed to fight to live and I needed to find a tool to help me do that. And in the paleo world, there's this intersection of the keto world when you start to think about ingredient quality and ingredients mattering and food mattering. And so I kind of stayed on top of diet topics. Like I think that's something we do as people that struggle with weight issues. We always know you know, what's out there, how you count points on Weight Watchers and how you do other things and how you can order meals through Jenny Craig, I guess. I don't know if they're still around, but maybe they are. And I read the book Keto Clarity by Jimmy Moore and the book Fitness Confidential by Vinny Tortorich and decided keto was the tool I was going to use. I also very much put my feet down and said I needed to be mindful of my emotions through this whole experience. In February of 2017, I started the ketogenic diet and I lost over 270 pounds this round and found a way of eating that gave me a sense of, of relief from the physical side of my food addiction, from the cravings, from the things that were driving me in that way. And I did that on my own at first. And when doing lazy, dirty keto on my own stopped working, I knew I had to count macros and I knew that I was awful at trying to figure that out. I tried, I downloaded every app you can think of and tried to figure it out. And I realized there's 700 different keto calculators out there on the internet. And I decided to hire a coach I hired Jonathan Shane, the keto road, because he hadn't had any clients yet. And he reached out to me and said he was going to be starting to coach. And was I interested? Because he and I were friends and he, we were talking about what I was doing. And I thought that if I work with someone who's never had any clients before, you know, I can kind of break them in. So I can maybe pull the wool over his eyes if needed and kind of not necessarily... I saw myself as uncoachable. And I started working with him and very quickly realized that he knew what he was talking about. And I started to realize that when I actually paid some attention to how much fat I was eating and where my protein was at and where my carbs were at, and I switched from counting net carbs to counting total carbs so I could actually pay attention to what I was actually putting into my body, I saw some really dramatic changes on the emotional side of things. I started to realize that I didn't have to be gripped with cravings 24-7, that I could actually start to deal with that physical side of things so that I could start to work on the emotional side and start to see when things were happening and deal with those emotions that were coming up as my weight, you know, dropped off. And we also worked together on what life was like to be in maintenance, you know, and what would that be like? Because I, I love to say that I'm great at gaining weight, I'm great at losing weight, but I was never great at keeping weight off. So John and I worked on that. And through that process, we developed not just a friendship, but a partnership. And he invited me to start working with him as a coach. So I went from someone living a ketogenic lifestyle for themselves to sharing my experiences with other people. And it was also around that time, it's now almost been two years since I started the podcast. You mentioned the Fat Guy Forum. I felt that there was a lack of space in the weight loss community in general for men to share their stories who weren't men that were getting on competitive stages, weren't men that were off-season bodybuilders dealing with 35 pounds and getting on, you know, talking about tips how to shred quickly. You know, I wanted to help bring the stories forward of the men that were dealing with lifelong struggles with their weight. And so I created the podcast and it's gone fantastic. You know, I really just love all of the guys that I've been able to bring forward there. And like I said, last year, I started working as a coach. I started helping people on a one-on-one basis, build a holistic ketogenic lifestyle and holistic ketogenic to us means 
that is not just about what's on your plate. It's about everything that's going on in your life and the impact that has on your relationship to food and your weight loss journey. And, you know, some people are looking to actually add weight, you know, through building muscles. Some people are looking to lose weight. Some people are just working on that maintenance piece and need help with that. And I try to meet people where they're at and help them build a sustainable, healthy lifestyle that's going to help them move forward. So that's been an awesome thing. That's, I feel like really is a part of my story because it's been this evolution of sharing my story on Instagram, you know, putting some of those wild before pictures out there, which all were a part of my Instagram account before I switched over to actually trying to lose weight and sharing my journey, the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, the challenges that I went through. It was never just a linear journey. You know, life isn't about just coming over a roller coaster hill and zooming towards the end of the ride. You know, there's twists and turns and loops and all of that. And I've just always kind of prided myself on being willing to share those things with everyone out there to kind of bring them along. And now I don't just do that on a daily basis through my social media, but I I do that with people who are dealing with their own struggles in unique ways. And working with people has been a very fulfilling part of this experience for me. So long story short, that kind of brings us to where we are today. That's awesome, man. And I got to apologize to everybody because we had a really awesome, I don't know how long interview, but apparently my Wi-Fi or something happened with my iPad because the recording button kind of went off. So we were already talking about things. And one of the things that I brought up earlier was the fact that on your podcast, you talk quite a bit with a lot of guys who are on their fat loss journey or have been on their fat loss journey that have realized that it wasn't necessarily just about the food, Mm -hmm. but their emotional or their mental health was playing a huge role in their binge eating or their desire to eat certain foods that got them into trouble. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. And that's, you know, like I do say that for me, you know, going quote unquote, going keto helped me take away some of that physical side of things. But then you realize that there's whole other side to food and our relationship with food. And that's one of the questions I love to ask the guys on the show is not just what is your relationship with food like today, but where do you think that developed from? And what was your relationship with food like when you were at the beginning of your journey versus where you're at now and all of you know those different places? Because it often is not just... Because I, I think there's this propensity, specifically even in the keto community, but I'm sure also in others, to say... You know, if you cut out carbs, your relationship with food changes completely. You know, all it is, it's the carbs that are driving everything. And I'm like, there's so much more to each person. There's so much more that's bio-individual and based on the emotional side of that relationship with food. You know, when food is, is love in your family, how it's expressed, you learn that's how love's expressed. And, you know, and that's what that becomes about. So when love goes away or there's challenges and you need to feel those feelings again, you turn to food. If food is something that was used for celebration and happiness, you know, as you were growing up, and then you're not feeling a lot of celebration and happiness in your life, but you want to, you turn to those foods. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about earlier was this idea that a lot of times people will have specific foods that are like their kryptonite food, you know, that thing that just they know if it's in front of them, they're going to eat it. It's going to be something that happens, you know, and I think that's because they developed that connection somehow, like that was a food that was used by them at some point that to get them through a situation. And that's something, you know, for me, I think a lot of my food issues developed when my parents divorced and, you know, we moved around a lot and I went from school to school and a lot of different things were changing constantly. But the consistent thing for me was food. 
you know, food was always there, even if people weren't, if my mom was working two jobs and wasn't around, if I was staying at a different family member's house, if things were different, I could always know that I could go to the corner store and buy some Reese's peanut butter cups and they were going to be exactly the same all the time, you know? And so that was what, you know, I based consistency on. And I think that's something I hear a lot from people is it's not just about this specific food is so amazing that it's life-changing. It's about what's known. It's about what is comfortable. And I think that's something that happens a lot to us. Like it's something Ethan Suplee, the actor talked about on an interview. He was talking to Lewis Howes on the Greatness podcast the other day and or might've been a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about the fact that, you know, as much as people like to say there's discomfort in making changes to the way that you're eating and moving your body and losing weight and the, the ability to become physically active and dealing with your emotions and all that brings you discomfort there's a level of discomfort to being over 500 pounds that we don't talk about, you know, what that actually looks like. And I think it's because of how amazingly adaptable our brains are. We adapt to almost anything. We accept, you know, I accepted that walking 15 feet would wind me. I accepted that I couldn't stand for more than a few minutes. You know, I accepted that because I was able to keep eating because I was able to keep kind of feeding that side of me literally. And when I look back on it now at the amount of discomfort that I was allowing to be in my life every day, it amazes me. But I think that's a part of it because I'm getting something out of that experience emotionally. So it's helping me get through things. It's helping me deal with the way my life was. So it, you know, I, you put blinders on and you allow things to happen and you allow that to become your norm. So when you start to try to change it is when you start to realize how challenged you are by these things and how much these things that they were your norm and your regular thing, you know, really what it was really doing to you, which I think is interesting, you know, and you've probably had this experience talking to people, like whenever you can start to say to someone, well, what was your regular McDonald's order? Or what did you like? I feel like Taco Bell is something people talk about a lot on Instagram. Like Mm -hmm. they like to brag about what they ordered at Taco Bell. But the wild side of that to me is that we all have our regular things. Like we can all go back and say, well, when I would go here, I would get this. And when I go here and I get this and I go here and I get that, it just becomes the normal. It becomes what feels right to you. And you start to build pathways that keep you there. So when you try to make change and try to actually try to break out of those patterns, you realize how trapped in them that you were. You you realize how much you had built a dependency on those foods and how much you had built a dependency on that food being there. And you have to start to work on new ways to actually cope with the world and deal with life that doesn't involve that one thing that was there for you. And the hardest part of it is you can't go cold turkey from food. You know, you can't just give up food. You can't just take it away completely. You know, you can change what you're eating and you can make your plate look very different and you can make the portions on your plate look very different. But if you don't eat, you're going to die. So, and as silly as that is, because I think sometimes people throw that kind of too much in there when we have the debate over, you know, which addiction is more challenging. And people are like, well, you have to live what you need food to live. You know, I don't like to rank addictions or things along those lines, but I do like to say like, there is a different challenge when you have to consume the substance that you're addicted to every day and you have to build a new relationship with it and you have to, because if you don't, you're going to find yourself back where you were before. I'm living proof of that. You know, I gained 270 pounds in under six months. Like I immediately fell right back into those patterns because I had not worked on how I would handle the world without that food there. And I think that's something that a lot of my guests struggle with is about defining what their world looks like now that they can't turn to that one thing that was comfort and was pleasure and it was pain, you know, that's the other thing is like, it's not always bringing you pleasure, but it's bringing you something that, you know, it's bringing you something that you're used to. So even if it means it's discomfort and, 
digestive discomfort, literally, and all of those physical challenges, at least you know what that feels like. You know what that's going to be like. So the unknown is scarier. The unknown is, is something even a bit bigger because what if the food wasn't there? You know, and what I try to say to people now when I'm working with them is what if that's really great? You know, what if taking away what you consider to be your comfort blanket, you know, like the thing that keeps you safe actually makes you safer, actually makes the world better, actually makes your life better. But you won't know that until you actually start doing it. And that can be a really scary thing for people. Yeah, it's food I know for myself was and still is, it is definitely something that you feel good while you're eating, especially certain foods. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of power when you accept responsibility that this is your choice to do it mm -hmm. and you have a choice to do something else. And another power is to realize that in order to achieve your goal, you are going to have to sacrifice certain things mm -hmm. to get better things. Oh, and I, sure. I think that's where a lot of people kind of fall into place. They don't want to sacrifice this thing that gives them such temporary pleasure because mm -hmm. they can't see that long-term goal. Oh, for sure. And I think at the end of the day, like it's, it's a big part of it. And we were talking about this. I was kind of on fire. I feel like about this a little bit during our first recording, but it's this idea of you have to get to a place where you can take responsibility for what you're doing. You have to get to this place. And that's not always comfortable, you know, because we love to say as people, you know, I'm just out of control. I'm out of control. You know, I can't control myself around this. I can't control chocolate. I can't control these things. Like I'm out of control. And I think the truth that comes into play is that you're not out of control. It's that you're getting something out of this abdication of responsibility that you don't want to acknowledge. And so a big part of working on these issues is about being honest with yourself and realizing that you do have control. It doesn't mean it's always easy. It doesn't always mean that it's always comfortable. It doesn't mean that it feels good. It means that you do, though, have control. You do have the ability. Like there were times during my weight loss journey that I would go to bed at like five o'clock at night because I knew if I stayed up, I was going to overeat. Like that was the mood I was in. I was like, okay, I got to go to bed. And I'm not saying that. So someone out there is like, oh, writing a note, you know, the key to weight loss is going to bed early. I'm saying that because there were times where I had to take control to the extent that I did things that might seem a little out there, but it was about saying, you know, I am in control in this moment. I know if I stay awake, I'm probably going to make a choice that I'm going to regret. So I'm going to go to bed now. And I think at the end of the day, what that comes down to for people is getting to that place of thinking about this mindful approach to what you're eating. Like one of the things that we talk about a lot and I talk with my clients about is like, you know, let's think about why you're making the choices you're making when it comes to food. Like, where is that coming from? What's driving this? What is the emotion behind what's happening? And sometimes the answer just is I'm hungry. I don't know where it's coming from. I'm just hungry. But sometimes that answer is I'm really stressed out. A lot of things are happening. I feel really out of control. That I think is so key for people because the one thing that we can control often is food. And so we control it in bad ways because it gives us a sense of control when our lives feel completely out of control, when there's a lot of factors that are affecting us that we don't have any measure of control over. Because that is true. There are times where there are things that we can't control. And that's one of the things that I've discovered on my journey is stoic philosophy. And this idea that if I can control something, I, I should control it. But if I can, I need to let it go. And I need to not stress about it and give it my energy. And for me, I'm not perfect. You know, we're not always perfect, you know, when we're going through these journeys, like we're not always going to 
do the things we know. It's something I wrote about recently in a blog, the, the idea of knowing versus doing being two different things. We know what we should do to reach our goals. We know exactly what our routine should look like, but we don't always just do it. And I, I've had times last summer, I had a, almost a week period where I was kind of eating whatever I wanted and I wasn't following my ketogenic diet at all. Trust the, the pizza place a mile from my house knew that I was not following my ketogenic diet that week. And when I finally talked to friends about it and what was happening, you know, the immediate response that I got was, well, why didn't you reach out for help? You know, why didn't you say something before this started? And my response was, if I'm being honest, I didn't reach out because you would have stopped me and I didn't want you to stop me. I wanted to kind of fall into that place. Why? My world was falling apart. I had lost three jobs. I was losing my home. You know, I didn't know what was coming next. The world was locked down. You know, like things were kind of wild and crazy. And I decided in that moment that this is what was going to make me feel good. It's not smart. It's not the perfect decision, but it's what I did. But I think the honest side of it is, I think a lot of people have done things like that over this past year. I think a lot of people have been through that. And too often than not, we don't reach out to people who will hold us accountable because we know they will hold us accountable. We know that they might say something rational that makes you stop and realize, okay, maybe I'm just feeling really emotional and I don't need to have pizza and ice cream. You know, Maybe I don't need to do this. And you might stop for a second and think. And there are times, especially when you struggle with food addiction, that you don't want to stop and think because stopping and thinking gives you perspective and gives you that sense of what's actually happening again. You want to lose yourself in those moments. And it's not pretty to admit that, you know, it's not happy. It's not one of those things. Like one of the things you and I talked about earlier was putting ourselves out there on social media and what that looks like. And, you know, painting this picture of perfection versus, you know, showing the lumps and bumps. And sometimes like, I didn't post that week about what happened. You know, honestly, I was terrified too. I was like, Oh, I feel like so in this place of, of negativity towards myself. I don't think I can share that with other people. And I realize now looking back on that, that I missed an opportunity to let people know that if that's something they're struggling with, it's okay. You know, it's okay to realize that not every day is going to be perfect, but it's how you respond and what you learn from those moments. I think that matters more. That really defines you. You know, when the past happens, the past happens. Like we can't go back and change things. Like you can't live in regret and shame. You have to live in a place of accepting responsibility for what you've done, but still continuing to move forward. You know, we have a propensity as human beings to want to wallow in that negativity because sometimes that feels good. You know, whether, I don't know why, I wish I understood. You know, there are probably people much smarter than me that understand why sometimes we like to sit in that place of discomfort and being upset with ourselves. But when you can just look at it and say, okay, I did this. What might I do differently next time? What are the lessons I've learned? How did my body respond? What do I need to do to actually get back to feeling the way I want to feel? and try to move yourself forward that you, you take so much more from that experience. Whereas if you let it just be this mindless thing that happened and you don't try to learn anything from it, that's the challenge. Like that's when we lose those opportunities. And that'll happen sometimes with clients I'm working with when they have a moment like that for themselves. And I kind of make them sit in it for a little bit and talk about it. And I say, no, I don't want to move past that choice to have pizza yet. I want to sit down and talk about why you think you, you ate that pizza. Cause you said it didn't taste good. So why do you think you made the choice? And a lot of times they want to say, well, I don't want to talk about it. You know what happened? I just want it to be done. And I'm like, I understand that. I'm like, but you're paying me to help you. And so let's try to take some lessons out of this. Like, what is the lesson? You know, what did you actually learn? And, you know, I, I sat down with someone and said, okay, so what are you going to do next time you, you're at work and things are, you're stressed out and pizza is the only option that they're providing for you there. And you know that if you don't eat something, you're not feeling great. What are you going to do? 
You know, what are the ways you can prepare yourself? So we talked about kind of stocking his desk with things that are shelf stable and easily accessible. And we talked about something that sometimes people don't think about, which is eat the toppings off the pizza, you know, in, in a pinch, some cheese and some sausage and some vegetables thrown in is going to, might be something that helps hold you over. You know, it's, it might not turn, add up to be a great full meal and might not be a perfect option, but it's a better option than eating that crust because you know that you're going to end up on the toilet the next day for, you know, a couple hours dealing with the, the after results of that. Like, learning from what you've gone through is so important. And that's why for me, that experience last year really was about learning about how I approach accountability for myself, you know, and how I handle those things and what I want those situations to be like. And can I sit here and a hundred percent say, and I'll never do that again. You know, I'm never going to be that person again. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think that's honest, you know, being honest. I want to say, that I'm going to do my best to not go to that place again. You know, I want to work on vigilance and I want to work on those things, but I know as a human being, there's going to be times where I have missteps and I I'm okay with that. I'm okay with knowing that I'm not perfect because perfect doesn't exist. You know, perfection doesn't exist. And the idea that we can at least hold ourselves accountable is a better place to be. You know, it's, it's this idea of consistency matters more than perfection you know, consistency matters more than in routine matter more than motivation. You know, you're not motivated every day. You know, I'm sure you get this too. You get DMs from people all the time that say, I would do what you did if I was as motivated as you. And I'm like, I was often not motivated. You know, it had nothing to do with motivation for me a lot. Like it just had to do with, I knew I needed to do it. Like, you know, especially when I could post when gyms were accessible and now they're coming back, thank goodness. And I could post my four 30 in the morning gym selfies. And I would, literally within two hours have messages of people like if I was just as motivated as you, I would have got up and gone to the gym early too. And I'm like, it's got nothing to do with that. You know, I would get to the gym at four o'clock in the morning and sit in my car for 20 minutes and try to talk myself out of going in. Like these are the struggles that are real. You know, these are the things that actually happen. Like even people that have these perfect glistening workout accounts that they have days where they don't want to go to the gym. They don't want to tell you that, but it happens. Yeah, but it is true. The meme is true that you never regret a workout after you do it. You know, you never regret it after. Before, you do your best to talk yourself out of it. But after, you're not going to regret it. And I feel it's the same way with good choices. You know, there are times when it comes to, you know, food choices where it's like, you know, it would be a lot easier just to eat the pizza. But if I ate the pizza toppings and then realized that more food was coming when I got home or whenever it was, I'm going to feel a lot better in the end about myself. So it's just about working on being really honest with that relationship with yourself. Yeah, I know a lot of what you're talking about, being on the truck. There was times where I knew if I stopped at a truck stop to park for the night, mm -hmm. that all these temptations of the Cinnabons and even just going to get sometimes the fast food burgers instead of cooking some of myself. Because, I mean, you mm -hmm. can do great on a burger, but not like you can if you're making your own food and, mm -hmm. and you're drinking. And there's times where I was working 14 hours, didn't want to make something, you know, but I knew if I stopped at that truck stop and went in to go get food along the way, I was going to be bombarded by mm -hmm. every temptation possible. So go to the rest area or go off, pull off to the little drive off on the side of the road and, and stay away from the temptation for the night. Cause I knew that at that moment I was weak. And I think sometimes like when you talk about stuff like that, people want to say, well, you know, if you were really strong, you would just face that temptation. You know, you would just do that. 
It's like, why are you throwing yourself into the lion's den on purpose? Like, if you know you're not feeling strong, admit that you're not feeling strong. Like, say, like, I, I have a client who the other day was like, I need to stop walking down the cereal aisle. You know, I need to stop going, you know, I need to stop walking by the baked goods at the grocery store because I'm not going to buy them, but they make me want them when I walk by them. And I'm like, then it's okay to walk by them. It's okay. You know, it's, it's okay to admit that there are different things we have to do at different times to help ourselves, to keep ourselves safe. And if that means not going into the convenience store, the gas station, when you stop, then don't go into the convenience store. You know, if you know, that's not a healthy place for you. If you know, going to Wendy's to order patties is going to lead to you wanting cheese fries and a Baconator that's got a bun and all of that, then don't go there. Like it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means that in that moment, that's what you need. And I think being more responsive to our needs as people, it just helps us learn and grow and like helps us realize that it's like, again, like I said, going to bed early, that sounds probably crazy to some people, that idea. But for me, that's what I needed then to get myself through that night. And when I came through that night, I woke up well-rested and I hadn't made bad food choices and my body felt great. And I went to the gym and I worked out. So what were the negative consequences of doing that? I missed watching television. Like just because you're not doing something that someone else is doing doesn't mean that you're doing something weird or strange. If you're doing what you need to do to protect yourself, because when people would see that me, me share that I went to bed early, I would get messages where people are like, well, that's crazy that you couldn't control yourself. You know, you felt like you couldn't control yourself. It's just stay up and be fine. And I'm like, None of you said anything to me when I was 500 pounds and sharing that I bought four Big Macs or I ate eight Big Macs on the way to dinner with my family. Like no one talked about that. But now when I say I did something to help myself get through the night, all of a sudden it's wrong. It's like shift your perspective, realize that sometimes you need to do things to protect yourself and be okay with it. A few years ago, I read a book uh, and I got to remember the author's name, but if I do, I'll put it down below in the show notes. But it was all about uh, self-control and it was about the author said that, you know, your self-control is like a muscle. It's, it's, mm. It builds over time, but it can also wear out and need to be replenished, like need a rest. And so if you could do something to give yourself control a rest, either by getting away from the temptation or even on some occasions somehow finding a way to answer that temptation in, in some sort of ways, which isn't always to be the most positive way to go but it allow you to have that rest and then regain control mm-hmm. as you go through and be a little stronger when you face the temptation the next. Oh, for sure. And that's something I've had some clients that I'm working with who, when we talk about sometimes when you're having like strong emotional reactions, emotional cravings for food and things along those lines, it's good to process. You know, it's really good to be like, where is this coming from? Go through that process of what do I think is driving this? What's going on in my life that is different this week that might be causing this? all of that. Like ask those questions. Have I had enough water? Am I getting good sleep? You know, what are all those factors? But then sometimes it's also good to have something to distract your brain. You know, sometimes you know that you're going to obsess on that food. So you find something to distract your brain. And that can be a creative outlet. It can be reading. It can be writing. It can be playing music. It can be watching a movie. It can be calling a friend. You know, that idea of distraction isn't always a bad thing. Like you're not running away from it. You're not being a coward and not facing your challenges you're helping your brain build new pathways to help you deal with these things that you know are going to happen again. And so if you know calling that friend and talking to them helps you when you're in that place, call that friend and talk to them. If you know sitting down and doing some journaling on gratitude helps you when you're feeling in a place of not really feeling gratitude and you're feeling emotional, do that. Use the tools that are going to help you. You know, don't 
be afraid to use something that helps you get through those moments. Yeah. And another pitfall I think a lot of people find too with this is the trading of addictions. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of keto facsimile of foods that a lot of people crave. Mm -hmm. And these are still very hyper palatable and Mm -hmm. sometimes even more calorically dense foods. Oh yeah. And they still give you that same kind of serotonin response in your body that you, that alleviates thing. So I think that's another pitfall that people kind of get into. And how would somebody deal with that if you're coaching them along? Well, and that's the thing is like, so you'll see someone say, you know, I used to have a cupcake every night. So now I'm going to have a keto cupcake every night. And that's when I have that discussion with that person. And I say, so if you have trouble and challenges controlling this food, why does an ingredient shift in that food make it all of a sudden something that you can magically control? Explain that to me. You know, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that really means. And sometimes that's when you really have to challenge someone and say, okay, what I would love, you know, if you say you can't go to bed at night without having chocolate, I would love for you to prove to yourself for a week that you can go to bed at night without having chocolate. Because it's this idea that they feel like there's no way they can do it without it. And you have to somehow just push that person to say, well, you know, it's that old, the meme of, but did you die? You know, but did, and I actually have that on a keychain that I just got to put my gym fob on, you know, but did you die? You're not going to die. You know, if you don't have a cupcake, you're not going to die. If you don't have a cookie, you're, I mean, you might feel like it. You might feel like you're in that place. So that's where in terms of like one-on-one coaching, if I, I set up a challenge like that with someone, it's not just going to be about doing it and completing it and saying, okay, I did seven days without it. It's going to be about talking all the way through that. Like, what does it feel like to have a night where you don't have it? Like, let's do it once. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens if you decide not to have that sweetener in your coffee or take that away. And then sometimes also you just have a a rational discussion with the person and say, keeping sweet things going into your body keeps you wanting sweet things. That's just the way your body is functioning. And I know there's going to be someone out there who is like, an influencer using a continuous glucose monitor they were sent to use for a month. And they're going to be like, I ate that and I didn't have any kind of blood sugar spikes and I didn't feel any cravings. Great for you. I am so freaking happy for you that you can do that. But I know that if I cut into a piece of something like that, I'm still going to want something more the next day. I know that things are different for me. Like when people tell me, you know, and this is, this is another kind of segue to talk about a different dietary plan, but like carnivore eating. You know, there's this idea that there's no way to overeat on carnivore. Like, there's no way to do that. And I'm like, well, I will tell you that I have overeaten on carnivore, you know. And I I even had a guy who was on my podcast who had tried a lot of different dietary approaches. And he's someone who actually, you know, if you listen to the episode, I think that he actually has something hormonally going on with the way his body produces ghrelin because he is never satiated no matter what he eats. And he worked with a coach... I listened to that episode the other night, actually. And that's one of the ones that was like, had me thinking about even more having you on the the podcast. And yeah, like he tried his, he worked with a coach and he tried just calorie control. He tried keto, he tried carnivore and he put on weight doing carnivore, you know, doing carnivore quote unquote properly, just eating meat to satiation. Like he doesn't reach that point. And I think the idea that the same thing works for every person is what we have to break away from. We have to realize that, yes, well, here's two things I'll say. One, yes, there are people that are going to have keto desserts every day and have no challenges and the weight's going to drop off and they're going to reach their goals and they're going to do perfect. And I applaud them. I think that's fantastic. 
Then there are going to be people that try to have a ketogenic dessert every day, and they are miserable because they live in this life of constant food craving, and they don't feel any relief, and they feel none of the benefits of the ketogenic diet because those flavors and those tastes to them cause those reactions. I also would love to throw a note out there that if you're looking at someone else's Instagram page and you're basing what you see on their Instagram page is how you think they're exactly eating 24-7, you are making a mistake because there is so much curated content out there. There was an account that I follow and am friends with And I remember once, like halfway into my journey, I finally broke down and I messaged her and I said, you are posting desserts every day. How are you losing weight and posting and eating desserts every day? And she said, well, I don't eat desserts every day. On Saturdays, I make all seven desserts and I try a bite of them and then I post them throughout the week. And I had never heard or even thought about curated content before. And the idea that people take take a day of the week and that's their content day, you know, it's not a bad thing. Like it's not, but I want you to realize that there are some times where, You see, because it'll also happen, like I try to share everything that I'm eating on my page, but there are sometimes I just forget to take a picture or you were so hungry with your scrambled eggs in the morning that you just ate them and realized you didn't post it. And so then I get messages and people are like, well, you know, if I want to eat that, can I lose weight too? Can I do? And I'm like, no, no, do not base your eating plan off of pictures you're seeing on someone's social media, you know, figure out, you know, this is just to give you some ideas. But also don't plan your portions based on, you know, if I'm in maintenance, my portions are going to be different than your, your portions are if you're losing weight. If I'm 240 pounds and you're 560 pounds, your portions are going to be very different than what I'm eating, what your body needs. Like you want to kind of remember that it's okay to look to other people's pages for inspiration and for accountability and discussion and, and tips and all of that. But don't ever just say, I'm going to do exactly what that other person is going to do. I mean, I'm sure you've seen like, one of my favorite DMs to get is, what are your macros? And my response yeah. is always, I'm not telling you what my macros are. My macros have zero to do with you. Unless you are a 48-year-old, 5'11 man, you know, who's the exact same weight as me with the exact same body fat percentage, my macros have zero to do with you. So me telling you doesn't do anything for you. And it's funny, um, Lauren Berryhill, Keto Coach Lauren, she is notorious for getting this question from people. Like, so she actually was always used to post that she's not going to share her macros. So she and I have a thing where every so every time she posts a picture of food, I'll always DM her and be like, yeah, but what are your macros today? Because it's just a joke. But it's because it happens so often. Like people want, and, and I know it comes from that place of, I see the results that another person is getting and I want those results too. So I want to do exactly what they're doing so I can get you know help. And the harder part is when you have to say to someone, especially as a coach, we need to find out what works for your body. We need to do what's going to work for you. You know, I've had clients say, are you working with anyone else who's around my size? And what are they eating? And how is that going for them? And I'm like, it's going for them, how it's going for them. Let's talk about how it's going for you. It's really hard sometimes to get people to kind of focus on their own plate, you know, no pun intended, instead of worrying about what's on someone else's, because is there something different they should be doing? It's like, no, let's just work on what you need. Let's work on what I need. Like, being okay with that bio-individuality and that the challenges are different. Like there are so many people that don't have the, like, and this is one of my favorite things is like when I talk about, you know, I posted on my new account because Instagram took away my other account months ago for no reason. And they apologized, but didn't bring it back. I talked about that experience of kind of like what it feels like to kind of be in the throes of your addiction, you know, when you're just giving into it and what that feels like. And I had a lot of people like DM me and say, yeah, well, I've never felt that, you know, I don't feel that way if I have like a keto cupcake or I don't feel that way. And my response to when someone says that to me is always, 
I am so freaking happy that you don't feel that way because it means you don't deal with the same issues. Like I am very happy when people can't relate to things that I'm sharing, because then that means that they don't feel some of those lows that I know that I felt. Yeah. I'm part of several groups run one myself and I get questions or I get comments like that all the time. And people will ask, does a scoop of butter in your coffee break your fast? And Mm -hmm. so my response to that was, well, it depends on what kind of fast you're doing Mm -hmm. and what is your goal? You know, if your goal is autophagy and you're trying to maximize those effects, then the butter might not be great. If your goal is just some fat loss and that little bit of butter keeps you going to your next fast, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to get, finish your fast, then maybe that's fine. And I had one of the people on there that didn't read what I wrote, I guess, thoroughly and goes, mm-hmm. no, a, butter, a little bit of scoop of butter is not going to break your fast, you know? And I'm just like, okay. And I just ignore, move mm-hmm. on. Because they're in a point where they're not going to listen because it, it works for them and mm-hmm. they're not looking at the perspective of what the other person's goal right. might be or what may work or not work for them. Mm-hmm. So you are pretty open and honest with your pictures that you put out mm-hmm. with the uh, way you looked before and currently one of the things that a lot of people deal with and guys deal with it, even, you know, ladies, I want you to know that we guys deal with this as well. It just in a different way, but body dysmorphia mm-hmm. and, and the perspective of yourself and pressure to look a certain way. And that being the driving force of picking a diet and a fat loss plan. So I want to dissect a few things right now. Just one is how you look at yourself when you look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you still see that big guy on occasion or do you still, do you look at yourself in a different way? Well, this is where it gets interesting. I think for me, like my perspective on kind of my own kind of body dysmorphia and body issues. When I was over 500 pounds, I was incredibly confident in my body. That was my life. You know, I went through some horrific bullying when I was younger. And I eventually realized that if I didn't accept myself for who I was, you know, I was going to have a very miserable life. Like it's so that whole image of, you know, the kid wearing the t-shirt in the pool, you know, the, the overweight kid wearing the t-shirt in the pool. I did that for a few years and I eventually stopped. And I think I was probably around 13 or 14 where I was like, this is who I am. Deal with it. And I dealt with so much pushback from that, that no pun intended, I developed a thick skin. So it was not weird. You know, I, I didn't have any shame when it came to if I'm at a, if I was at a pool party with friends and, you know, I was the biggest person there, my shirt was coming off when I was going to the pool because I needed my shirt to be dry later. So I was warm. Like I had no problems with that. And I think that's one of the things where like my initial Instagram account was called gourmandizer because that's the, the word gourmandize is to eat voraciously. And that was like my life. And I shared it that way. You know, I have pictures of me with cake resting on my stomach and things that I would do to kind of shock people on Instagram. And so as I lost weight, it became more about for me not recognizing the person in the mirror. And that's the kind of disconnect for me. It's almost like this flip side of, you know, I felt more comfortable in my skin when I was bigger than I do as a smaller person, you know, because you deal with the loose skin issues and things along those lines. And I'll get it out there that I'll probably will never have loose skin surgery for the cost. And also I'm a baby and don't want to go under anesthesia and deal with anything along those lines. But so I think for me, you know, it's been about kind of building a new relationship with my reflection in the mirror and starting to be okay with how I look now and like what that means and how clothes are supposed to fit and, and all of those different changes. But 
you're right that like, so it's weird because I'm kind of like, well, I'm kind of like the weirdo opposite, you know, in a lot of ways with a lot of these things. But I think you're right. Like it becomes about, you know, people chasing an image and chasing what they think that should look like. And I think I did, I do that to an extent. Like, I think that's natural, you know, that whole idea of how do I look in the gym and, you know, am I, am I toning up at all? Like what's happening there? But I think the reality of losing as much weight as I've lost and, and a lot of guys that I know has lost is that you're not left with the body behind that it looks exactly the way you think it was going to look. You know, like you, you have an image of what someone who weighs 200 pounds should look like. And then you look at yourself and you're like, I look more like, you know, a character on Futurama, you know, kind of flopping his arms and seeing things jiggle, you know, bat wings, t- team bat wings and that kind of thing. And again, this, I don't even think I'm answering your question at this point. You know, I'm just kind of rambling about the body, but it's this idea that, you know, what I have learned is that a mirror is just a mirror. Like it's just going to be what it is, you know, like it, it is who I am. And when I know that I'm in trouble is when I start to put too much value on what I see in that mirror in terms of emotional weight, you know, again, like when I'm starting to be like, I want to beat myself up over something physical, I have to realize what I've come through. And I think that is, and I don't know if this starts to feel too touchy feely and the things along those lines is, but like I did damage to my body for years, you know? And so now in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm still proud of my body because my body survived all of that. Like, I don't know how my body lived as heavy as it did for over 45 years. Like the idea that I, I came through this and I've got some lasting challenges, you know, I've, I have got some residual neuropathy in my feet and skin issues and things along those lines, but my heart is pretty healthy. My blood sugar and, and blood pressure and all of those things are, are pretty great. My cholesterol is great, you know, to those people that love to say, you know, keto ruins those things. Like my results on, on all my blood tests are pretty solid. And I have to look at what's left behind as what it is. And yes, I damaged my skin. And so I have stretch marks and I have loose skin, but I did that through years and years of abuse. And so it is what it is now. And like, so it doesn't mean when I go to the beach now, do I take my shirt off? Of course I do. Like, I still feel that your body is the body you were given. But I know that's a challenge that especially a lot of men deal with because there is this pressure that you're going to get to this place where you're going to have the same results as everyone else. Like one of the people that I, I can't remember if we brought him up in this version or the, the earlier recording we did, but I was talking about Ethan Suplee, the actor mm-hmm. who was well over 500 pounds and now has lost a significant amount of weight and has, you know, built this kind of incredibly strong body. And I was talking with someone the other day about him and they brought up, they realized that they didn't know he had had loose skin surgery to remove the skin in his body. They just thought he lost the weight and his skin just went right back to the way that it looks now. And I'm like, that's not what happens when you lose that much weight. You know, when he's pretty open about what he's had done, like that's just not the reality of the situation. Like there's all these people out there that want to say, eat a little collagen or rub some lotion. You know, did you put cocoa butter on your skin when you were losing weight? Cause maybe you wouldn't have had as much loose skin. And I'm like, no, I had an 84 inch waist. That's why I have loose skin. You know, I took my skin, stretched it to the limit, allowed it to regenerate that way for decades And then I took away, you know, I shrunk all the fat cells inside. Like, that's why my skin looks the way that it does. It's got nothing to do with I lost weight too fast. And I I didn't drink a certain supplement. And I didn't take a certain vitamin. You know, it's got to do with the genetics of my family. I could look at the elders in my family and see what our skin looks like when we get older. Like, you know, different people respond differently to things. Some people's skin tightens up better than others. I mean, I've seen people that have lost like 50 to 60 pounds and have loose skin that's worse than, than mine in some places. It's all very, very bio-individual. But that plays a big role in, I think, that body dysmorphia, especially for men that are significantly overweight. 
the fear of the loose skin keeps a lot of people from taking action. Like I hear that a lot from people like I would lose weight, but I'm just afraid of what my skin will look like. And it's like, you know, you, you want to have a frank discussion and be like, do you want to have loose skin or do you want to die in two years? Like, what do you want? Like yeah. when you put it that way to someone, it becomes a much different discussion. You know, like it becomes about you have children. Do you want to be around for when your children get married? Or do you want to worry about you might have to wear a compression shirt when you go to the gym? Which choice do you want to make? As I said earlier, we live in a airbrushed and Photoshop oh, society yeah. and it tends to give people the wrong perspective mm -hmm. or a unhealthy perspective of what a body should look like. Mm -hmm. And this level of perfection that is supposed to be out there for guys and for girls, for girls, it's, it's either being that waif thin, super skinny, you know, perfect, no blemishes, mm -hmm. you know, but still have big booty and booby. Yep. And then for guys, it's looking like, you know, Chris Hemsworth Thor and, mm -hmm. you know, this, this, so we both have these perspectives, this mental image of what your body should look like often drives a flawed mindset to reach your goals. And in that mm -hmm. flawed mindset often creates negative pathways to reach your goals. So wow. how do you address that with your clients that may approach you with mm -hmm. these type of goals? And this is what I want to look like. One of the things that I talk to them about, and I think this is really important, is I try to shift the discussion away from what they want to look like and how they want their body to move. You know, what does their life look like? So don't just tell me what you look like when you reach your goal weight. What does your life look like? You know, what are you able to do? Because that's going to be something that they need. It's going to be something that you need to know that feeling better when you walk upstairs is important and being able to play with your kids and get down on the floor is important. You need to know that these things are more important than what size your bathing suit is. Because the other thing, and, and I'm working with several clients on this right now, is they're evaluating what they want their goal weights to be, you know, where because they're getting closer to the places they thought they wanted to be. And sometimes a person will get to that, that goal weight and realize that they want to try to lose some more. And sometimes they start approaching that goal weight and realize that goal weight wasn't right. You know, that was too low. You know, I don't like how my body feels right now. I don't like the work I need to do to keep my weight that low. And you get to start thinking people, get people to evaluate not just how they want to look in clothes and things along those lines, but how do they want to move through the world? You know, what do you want your physical activity to be like? What do you want your emotional relationship with food to be like? What do you want your ability to do different activity, like accessing the world? And I think that's something that can be a little bit different. Like if someone comes to me and they have, you know, 30 pounds to lose, that's different than someone who comes to me and has 400 pounds to lose. You know, someone who has 400 pounds to lose literally is talking about not being a fully active participant in the world and having to kind of discover those opportunities and what that means like. So that person is probably not going to even have a goal weight in mind. They're going to have more of a, I need to save my life in mind. But that person who wants to lose 30 pounds probably does have a bit more of a focus on what they want their body to look like and how they want their body to respond. So sometimes you are having discussions with them about what they need to do to work on making those changes to their body and what's realistic and what's not realistic. And, you know, the idea that a guy can get a bigger chest and arms without doing any work in the gym, not realistic. You know, there's going to be things that you have to do to try to make some of those things happen. And a lot of it's going to be related to genetics and other choices you want to make and things you want to do. And do you want to work out seven days? A, you know, do you want to lift weights, you know, four days a week and do cardio on the other three days? Like, what are those things that you want to do? 
that relate to what you quote unquote want to look like. And that sometimes can open the door to have that discussion about where is this desire to look a certain way coming from? You know, what does it mean? You know, is success really about how you look when you're posing in the end? Or is it about these other factors that should be more important? And like, if someone were to come to me and say they wanted to get ready for a competition, I'm not the coach to help them do that. You know, I don't understand because getting someone stage ready for a bodybuilding competition is about so much more than just healthy eating. You know, it's about tricks and tips and twisting nutrition and all of those things that you need to do and water and all of that to get your body to a place where, you know, you have to do those things. You know, I'm the person that, you know, when someone says to me, I just want to be able to buy clothes from a regular store, you know, that's kind of more the person that I'm talking to. Like that's more of the clients I'm working with. So I don't think I even necessarily yet have worked with a client that is so kind of obsessively focused on, I have to have, you know, 20 inch arms and I want to have a 28 inch waist and I want to have a 52 inch chest. And I don't know if that's physically possible, but I want to try to do it. I'm sure at some point I will. But I think right now, I keep those discussions about appearance to be more on that level of how does it relate to everything else that you're doing? You know, how does it relate to how you move through the world? I think I've said that 800 times right now, but I think that's an important thing because it's about access and being able to shop at, at, you know, go into Old Navy and buy clothes doesn't have anything to do with, at the end of the day, necessarily what their body looks like. It's about something that they could never access, you know, especially, you know, for a lot of guys that have grown up significantly overweight, as soon as you were a kid, you were in the men's section and then you were in the big and tall section by the time you hit high school and you never look back. And so you don't even know what it's like to be able to walk into a Walmart or a Target and buy clothes. You don't know what it's like to... Like, I remember crying the first time I paid $5 for a shirt because I was able to buy a shirt for $5. Now, will I say it was a great looking shirt? Probably not, but it was a $5 shirt. Like, the, you know, when you're used to knowing that you have to budget for weeks before you can afford to buy a pair of shirt and pants at, at the DXL. And all of a sudden you can walk into the clearance rack at Walmart and buy clothes. And you're proud of the fact that you're buying clothes at Walmart. It's a whole different world. And so it's like about, sometimes it's about helping with that perspective on what it means to see that happen. Like it's the same thing with the scale, you know, wanting to see certain numbers, like men specifically have a big thing about wanting to see 200 become 199. But the reality is that someone who's been 600 pounds for most of their adult life, seeing 199 pounds is going to be a long road and is going to take a lot of work and they may not get there, but it's about helping someone understand that even if they don't get there, that they can still be proud of themselves and they can still be amazed by what the work, the work that they're doing and the changes that they're making. And it's about helping people work on accepting their bodies where they're at. And this is, this is the dichotomy that I think happens sometimes because you can love your body today and want to change your body. And that's something that people don't, especially like in the body positivity movement, they don't want to accept that you can love yourself. You can be very happy with yourself, but still want to make healthy change and helping people work on getting to that place of being okay with where they're at in the moment, but still then have keeping an eye on where they want to get to and what they want to see happen and defining what that means. Because it might not always translate to a, a size of a shirt or a number on the scale, but there will be indicators that we can identify that'll help a person understand that they're making progress. And one of it, I mean, you talk about the improvement of your life being the one of the major factors. And I have to agree because one, shopping at DXL is a very expensive prospect, as, as you might know, and the clothes aren't all that great. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. 
Big guy clothes kind of suck. They just do. Your weight, your body size, and I'm not saying everybody, it's, it, there's a certain personal responsibility for most of us that mm-hmm. are not suffering from, you know, a, a major thyroid issue or something mm-hmm. like that. There are yeah. extenuating circumstances, but for the majority of us who get this size, it is a self-inflicted handicap. Mm-hmm. And it's that. something that we can change and we can remove that handicap. A person can't who is in war can't regrow a leg and most people aren't able to walk again, but we can remove this life handicap from ourselves of being able to shop at a normal store for most of us, being able to go and enjoy things. Our family is going, you regularly have guys talk about being able to get the bar on the roller coaster down Mm -hmm. so that they can go to Disneyland and not just only have to ride splash mountain, you know, because that can get old after a while. And the thing is, I, again, like, I I would just like someone out there who's hearing you say, like, say those words, you know, the self-inflicted and think that that's about beating yourself up. And it's not like, it's about being able to, because when you accept that you can have some control and you have some responsibility, then you can see change as possible. You know, you can see that there's a whole lot of possibility out there for things that you can do that will be different and will, will help when you can say, I had a hand in what happened, whether it was conscious or subconscious. And one of the things that, you know, we talked about before we started any of the recording, you know, is the idea, you know, one of the topics that comes up a lot on my show is reaction to trauma, you know, the trauma that people have gone through. And I've, you know, I've talked a bit about even some of the trauma I think that I went through as a child, just with like my family issues and things along those lines. Like a lot of times food issues develop as a result of some significant trauma that happened to a person. Like for the most part, you don't get to 500, 600 pounds just because you were bored. You know, like it's very rare that I talk to someone who was that big on my podcast and say, you know, how do you think your relationship with food developed? And they just say, I don't know. I don't know. You know, food was there. So I ate it. You know, there's always kind of something there that whether it's a triggering act, you know, one triggering event or a lifetime of triggering events. Like there's a reaction to trauma that happens and healing that trauma can sometimes take more than eating a ketogenic diet. It can take a lot more than even working with a coach that's going to help you work on mindset and goal setting like I do. It can take therapy. It can take working with a professional, you know, in a medical setting. It can take, you know, medications. It can take other things that people need to do to help them get through these experiences that create this trauma that is so many times stigmatized, especially for men. Like that is one of the main purposes that I had with creating the show was trying to create a space where it was okay for guys to talk about things that I know men were dealing with. And we openly talk about women dealing with, but there aren't a lot of men just openly sharing these challenges, those things that they go through, those embarrassing moments, those different reactions, like those different reactions to traumas because we want to appear strong and we want to appear stoic and we want to appear all these different ways but it's happening and it's happening to people. And the idea that if someone comes on my show and they shares, they share the trauma that they went through and how they responded and how they now have taken responsibility for their things in their lives. And they're working on accountability and they're working on choice and they're working on all these different pieces. And it's inspiring to me every time I hear someone talk about what they've come through. And I talk to guys at all stages of their journeys on purpose. You know, I, I talk to, I've had guests on that are probably a week or two into starting a weight, a massive weight loss journey. I talk to guys that have come through it and kept the weight off for years. I talk to guys that I just, the episode that dropped yesterday is with someone who is just a year into his journey. And I think there's something important about hearing those perspectives and realizing 
there's some commonality and some difference, but more so than not, there's that commonality. There's that sense of, you know, someone else is going through a similar struggle and maybe I can do something to work on what I'm going through. And maybe I can reach out and find that there's tools out there that can help me. And maybe I might need more than the next person. You know, I'm not the, I never say to someone, I know exactly what you're going through because I never know exactly what someone else is going through, but I can say, I've had a similar experience, you know, I've gone through something, you know, let me try to use the experience that I've been through to help you, or let me use the experience that I've been through to help you talk about what you've been through. So then someone else will hear it and learn something. Yeah. It's for trauma. I I worked in a field where a lot of kids came from severely abusive situations when I worked at the group homes and the same thing at the domestic violence, sexual assault shelters. Mm -hmm. And you, you regularly see one of the major comfort factors that uh, especially the kids will go for to make themselves feel safe, to make themselves Mm -hmm. secure is the food. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to the point where you'll have a kid steal food out of the freezer and out of the refrigerator and the cupboards and not eat it, but you'll find them sleeping in their closet on top of this hoard of food Mm -hmm. because they're scared and they're Mm -hmm. that's where they found comfort and packs of raw bacon and Mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And I mean, that's how human association with the safety of food, how extreme it can get Mm -hmm. and and the comfort and and everything. I mean, that's an extreme example, but it happens quite a bit. Oh yeah. No, it's that, it's that scarcity mindset that can just be overwhelming at times. Yeah. And then there's also a self-defense mechanism. If I'm big, people aren't going to hurt me. They're not going Mm -hmm. to touch me. If I, you know, even it goes to hygiene with especially a lot of the girls who've been sexually abused. You know, if I'm big, I'm fat, I haven't showered in a week, so I'm kind of stinky, then nobody's going to touch me and hurt Mm -hmm. me. And there's all these, uh, I'm talking about extremes, but we all kind of live along these spectrums of stress that can drive a response to seek food or drugs other drugs for comfort for sure so and our bodies also may not respond to the same way to these foods one of the books i like to bring up is the secret life of fat by sylvia Terra, Mm -hmm. and she explores regularly that the approaches that different people take to find their fat loss goals in life or their weight loss goals or to get healthy don't always work for the same people. And that's something your show addresses quite a bit. You have had everybody on from taking a more vegetarian approach to more carnivore approach to extreme calorie restriction to mm-hmm. high fat or extreme fasting. I mean, you've run the gambit on it. Oh, yeah. And different people have had different levels of success with it. And, you know, aside from biological factors, what are some of the emotional or mental reasons that a person may not be as effective in a fat loss or weight loss plan that works for somebody else? Yeah, that's a great point. And it's funny because there are times where you can hear, even in my voice on the show, that I'm shocked by the approach that some people take when I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, let's talk about it. I think what happens is, you know, we have these perspectives set in our head. Like when you take keto, for example, one of the reasons why a lot of people talk about keto not working for them is because they see it as extreme restriction. You know, they see it as something where it's about taking away an entire food group. It's about completely taking something away. Whereas, you know, like from my personal perspective, I look at keto as being freedom to restriction. You know, I have never felt so free around food because I eat this way. And I think it's that idea of perspective that come into play sometimes. Like someone who 
feels that a, a diet that is either vegetarian or keto or, you know, involves restriction of specific foods is too restrictive for them and they, they feel like they can't do it, then they may be someone who then has found success through, cal- you know, just general caloric restriction or if it, if it fits your macros type plan. Like, I think you have to buy in on the emotional side that something is going to work. You have to understand. And also it's something that you can do forever. Like, that's one of the things I talk to people about is like, okay, do you feel like you can do this forever? And I mean, I've had clients that start working with me and they tell me that they only want to do keto for a certain amount of time. And I'm always like, okay, we'll talk about it as we get into this. You know, and some of those people are the ones who six months in are like, I don't think I could ever not eat keto again. But until they believed they could do it, they couldn't. And I think that's what happens when people are picking weight loss plans. And I think that's the problem too. Sometimes when someone says they've tried everything and nothing works for them, you know, it's this belief that nothing works. You know, we all know, we know that every single diet is going to work in the end. If it's followed properly, it's going to work. Are you going to get the results you want? Are you going to feel the way you want to feel? Are you going to, all of that, none of that's guaranteed, but if, you know, most likely if you follow that diet plan, the way it's designed, it's going to work in terms of at least just talking about weight loss. Now, hormonal health, all those other things aside, you know, you could do that. I think for each person, it comes about identifying what works best with their relationship with food. Like I've had several people on the show that have had weight loss surgery. And there's a lot of people that will say weight loss surgery is a cheat. You know, weight loss surgery is just taking the easy way out. And when you listen to these guys talk about what their lives are like going through weight loss surgery, especially the ones that have been successful for four, five, six years after, it doesn't sound anything at all like a cheat to me. Like it's, they used a tool that gave them a certain amount of time, but then they still had to do the work. And ironically, I think a lot of the people that go through weight loss surgery successfully end up discovering a low-carb way of eating as being the best way to help them in the end. And they realize that maybe if they had done that in the beginning, they might have you know, had similar results. But they did what they had to do with the time. And I think that's what's really important is being okay with using the tools that you need to use as long as you're not harming yourself. That's the thing that starts to concern me is when you know, someone is doing a way of eating where it's such a severe caloric restriction, you know, it's going to cause problems for them. You know, that's where some of their other issues are coming from. And that's honestly something that happens a lot when we talk about this on the emotional side of the show is there can be guests that come on and I hear them telling their story. And immediately in my head, I can see the emotional connections they have to food and like that, whether it's a food addiction or just like they're an emotional eater or things along those lines. And then when you actually start to ask them about their perspective on it, there's no self-awareness. They're not in that place yet. So they're not in that place of where they can make a connection that they are actually using food to handle emotions, even though if they go back and listen, they're going to hear themselves talk about it. But it's that place of being aware of yourself. That is a challenge for a lot of us to get to. Like, like I said, for years, I never said I was, I said I was never an emotional eater, but I clearly was. I just wasn't conscious of it. And that's another thing that I, I, I love about the show is having someone listen to themselves and come back and be like, you know, I learned something about myself. I didn't even realize I shared that, or I've never shared that part of my story before, like discovering new things. I think that's a big part of this process and a big part of finding what's going to work for you in the end. Like is I encourage every person, no matter what tool you're going to use to track your food and move your body to ensure that you are doing some work on the emotional side of things, whether you think it's important or not, whether you think it's an issue that's there for you or not, you know, and that can be finding a journaling tool that you use on your own. It can be working with a coach. It can be working with a counselor. It can be building a group of accountability friends on Instagram, you know, a group of people doing like-minded things and you just talk to them and you let them know what you're going through. But 
I think it's when you don't work on those issues that you tend to see the recidivist nature of weight loss. When you see things go back because you've done nothing to build those patterns and routines and those emotional pathways that you need to help you deal with what life is going to be like as you come through. On your show, you've had so many varied stories of people sharing their journey. What were some of the more surprising approaches you heard? Surprising approaches to weight loss? Or? So surprising that you felt like as far as that were working for people. Yeah, I think usually for me, the ones that I find most surprising are the people that can are just straight up calorie restricting and calorie, you know, doing kind of some severe calorie restricting. You know, I've had some guests on that do kind of more like calorie cycling, like do periods of very low calories and then bump them up and, and pieces along those lines. And to me, that's such an anathema to me. Like that's something that I don't ever think I could do. So it kind of terrifies me a little bit that I'm like, oh, what is going to happen? You know, like, and I think that's when like the keto coach in me wants to be like, well, if you were just to try this instead, you might not be dealing with that. So it's people that kind of purposely put themselves into that place of what I view as restriction, which then just speaks to that because people see what I do as severely restricted. So it's all kind of what side of the mic you're sitting on, I guess, at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, I do think to me, like, and I have, I have some amazing friends. Like some of my best friends have had weight loss surgery. Weight loss surgery terrifies me as a person. It terrifies me. And the idea, because of the, the number of people that fail, but have done this extreme measure to their body, that's going to have an impact. You know, a lot of the surgeries have adapted and grown. And so I know there's probably someone out there listening who's going to get mad at me for kind of taking this perspective. But the idea of changing how your insides work just scares me just because I'm a baby when it comes to surgery, I guess, anyway, like I already mentioned that, but that to me is the ultimate extreme. And so, which also I think gives me the perspective that when someone comes in the show and talks about making that choice, I know that it wasn't an easy choice. I know there was nothing flip about it. You know, I know that they understood the gravity of what they were doing, you know, and I think that's really important to realize that, you know, yes, there's going to be the random outliers that, make the decision on a whim or make the decision lightly. But I think for the most part, people know they're doing something pretty extreme when they're having their digestive tract, you know, impacted, you know, yeah. luckily I haven't had anyone on yet that has done like that scary hole in the stomach port thing or any of that stuff. Oh. Like also, I mean, the other, some of the other extreme measures, like the OptiFast, Metafast type diets are ones that just, I applaud people that can do that and then transition into a normal way of eating, which for people who don't know, like those are like medically supervised shake diets, basically. And yeah. the idea that someone does that for months on end and then transitions into a normal way of eating, I give them all the credit in the world because like, I don't think I could do it for one, but I also, that idea of having then getting used to eating food that way and then having to transition back to regular food scares the crap out. I'd be terrified. Like I would almost be too afraid to go back to eating regular food, which is what I think would happen. I actually kind of did that not too long ago. And I was doing, I was figuring out a way to do an extended fast. And I found that going from food into the fast was not working. I could mm -hmm. only last for like a day or two, but if I cycled into a liquid diet and then into the fast, I was able to control my appetite. I ended up mm. doing a nine-day fast. And then I went out of the fast back into a liquid diet. And I would I would adjust my macros. I would play with my macros a mm. bit during the liquid fast, upping the protein, upping the fat, you know, playing with the ratios a bit. 
But then going back into the liquid diet and then transitioning back into solid food slowly, I found also helped me not mm. um, have a bad reaction while trying to put solid yeah. food back in. So like having softer, going from a liquid diet to softer foods like scrambled mm. eggs and things like that, and then allowing my digestion to kind of build itself up. And then I used a lot of um, apple cider vinegar, things like that to help with digestion mm. uh, issues as well as blood sugar control. So, which is, which is the amazing thing, like to realize that, like, again, that's not something I ever would have thought of, but I love the idea of kind of getting into that bioindividuality of it and being like, yeah. it's not just what I'm saying works. It's what I've done and worked. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes people just get too wrapped up in wanting to find you not being willing to experiment, I guess is the best way to yeah. put it. Like, I think you have to be willing, especially if you're out there and you're getting close to that place of having to work on maintenance, realize that one of the biggest things that people don't talk about when it comes to maintenance is you have to be willing to fail. You have to be willing to take risks and realize that things don't work. You know, especially if you're someone that struggles with food addiction issues and things along those lines, like there's different camps when it comes to like dealing with food addiction. And there's the idea that you have to either be, you know, an abstainer or a moderator. And I think what's missed sometimes in the way some people put a message out there about it is the idea of being an abstainer doesn't mean that you're abstaining from all food, obviously, you know, and it doesn't mean necessarily that you're abstaining from all carbs or things along those lines. You have to be willing, you don't have to, but you can be willing to discover what are the foods that you need to abstain and what are the foods that you can moderate. Like, I think it's a, I think there's a gray area when it comes to, you can be an abstainer on some things and there can be some things that you can moderate and have a perfect relationship with it's that idea of there not being a black and white list. I think that scares people sometimes because we want things to be clearly defined for us, but being willing to exist in the gray and discover that, okay, yes, I can control that. And I'm fine with it. And I don't have any reaction and Oh, wait a minute. No, that did not go well. You know, my body either didn't handle it or I had cravings for three days and I had to white knuckle my way through the week or all of those that were triggered a binge, things along those lines, like being willing to do some of that exploration when you're in that place can be powerful and can be really great in terms of helping you define what your life is going to look like going forward. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of challenges. There's a lot of right ways up the road. There's a few bad ways, you know, oh, yeah. that are not going to get you where you need to go, but having a Sherpa that's had the experiences mm -hmm. to get you there, I think is one of the key components to long-term success and finding what works for you. So I want to start closing things out and I like to ask five questions of my guests before I leave. And my first question are, who are five health heroes for you? And this is something to give our guests an ability to look people up and do deeper dives. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. This is such a good question. So obviously one of is this, there's almost egos that I don't want to inflate, you know, like I don't want to give, you know, it's kind of, but I'll do it anyway. You. So I will say, one of the first people I have to mention is going to have to be the person who was my coach and is now my boss. And that's Jonathan Shane, the keto road. He's one of my health heroes because he's always willing to try things. And like, sometimes he does things that I think are a little wild. And I'm always like, I realize there is a significant age difference between us at different times. Cause I'm like, I would never do that. But I think his willingness and his commitment to overall health just inspires me every day. Another person who I consider to be one of my health heroes would be Stella. Stella is striving. Stella is a woman who was significantly overweight and barely mobile, 
and has made such incredibly powerful change in her life, you know, through the ketogenic diet, but also just through the work she does. And she's one of those people that practices mindfulness on a level that I think we all could learn from. So she is definitely someone. I'm going to another another get person. the royalties. Right, exactly. <laughs> one of my health heroes, I'm going to also say, is someone who is not in the keto space. It's John Arpino, who's known as J Arp's Journey. And he is someone who actually had um, the VSG surgery, but he is a powerhouse in terms of building. He's created a group called the Accountable Life Group. And he is just always about every day lifting people up. And I think that's really the most powerful thing you can do on a weight loss journey is find ways to help other people move along it with you. And I think that's really, really important. And he does that to me every day, but to so many other people, like he's just, he's got to be one of those people that I mentioned. Is it a keto cliche to put Robert Sykes up there as someone like keto savage? Like not at all. The reason that he's one of my health heroes is again, because he's one of those people that he is like, to me, one of the Kings of consistency. Like he is just consistent, you know, as much as he tries new things and he's always got like different foods, he's trying things along those lines. Like he just shows us all that it's doing work every day that really matters. And, you know, just even from watching Keto Brick grow as a company has just been amazing. Like to watch them go from him and Crystal driving hours to melt down the ingredients and pour the bricks into molds themselves with these tiny pitchers to, you know, having production facilities. Like it's just incredibly inspiring, you know, what I, what I see him doing. My fifth health hero, like I feel like I got to make this one important, but I don't know like if I'm going to do... What am I going to screw up? Like, who am I going to, you know, who am I going to pick? We'll just have to keep you know, having you come back on the yeah. show until you get all of them. Until I get all, because I feel like there could be like 800 of them to me. But Maybe I'm do going to pick on health hero, heroes. Yeah. So I'm going to pick, and I don't know if this will be controversial or not, but I'm going to, for my fifth, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Jimmy Moore. I'm going to pick Jimmy Moore because he was my gateway to keto. He was you know, I followed it, you know, I was following when he was just low carb and then, you know, kind of transferred into the keto space and keto clarity was the book that gave me hope that I could change. You know, that book was the resource that I needed to say, okay, I can do this. And really for me, that'll always kind of give his willingness to try to take messages. Like there's a lot of really great scientific folk out there that put things in really technical terms, but his ability to kind of take that message and turn it into something that's easily digestible is just something that I'll always respect and be grateful for. Yeah, it is definitely a, a great book for starting out in keto. A lot, his books are very much the great starting point for a lot mm -hmm. of people, I think. So what are three foods you think everybody should exclude from their diet? Soda, if you're still drinking soda. And I'm not talking about the occasional Zevia, like, but it, we're talking about regular and diet soda. Get it out. Like, don't drink your calories. Like, get rid of soda. Foods they should exclude. Should I keep it to things like, because I feel like I could also say some keto things that people should exclude. Like, go for it. Um, go for it. Like, cheap eggs. Like, honestly, spend some money on eggs. They're different. It's just a different one. There's a part of me that I like knowing that the chickens are, are living a better life while they're producing eggs. Even, yeah, I know they're killed eventually. I know that happens, but I, I like knowing that. I'm like, but when you see, whether it's a farm fresh egg or an organic pasture raised egg you buy from a certain brand at the store, when you see what that yolk looks like and what that egg tastes like, 
you don't want to go back to those 99 cent eggs again. And I understand if there's someone out there who can't afford better eggs, if you can't afford it, eliminate cheap eggs, eliminate, drop the keto cookies and the keto cupcakes and spend your money on eggs is what I would really say. I'd also tell you eliminate pre-shredded cheese. Stop eating pre-shredded cheese. It's got potato starch on it. It's got other crap added to it. And literally hand shredded cheese takes two seconds. It's cheaper. It tastes better. It melts better. It blends into your recipes better. So stop buying that pre-bag. Stop buying that pre-shredded cheese. Agreed. And uh, plus, you can get better cheese to shred than what's right. in the bags. You know, right. it's a, getting a nice smoked uh, cheddar or gouda and shredding that into your uh, oh, into completely. whatever you're making. It's going to be a, a night and day difference from the typical craft yellow annatto flavored or colored cheese. Exactly. So. What are three foods you think everybody should include in their diet? Water doesn't really count as a food. So I'll, I'll leave water right now. We'll leave everyone to drink water. Drink water. We'll, we'll take that's your bonus. That's your fourth food, you know, because water is not really a macro. I think that free foods that everyone should include in their diet is red meat. Um, I think is important. I think the bioaccessibility of the, the minerals and vitamins in the red meat is something that's good there for you. I will then go back from the, the pre-shredded cheese to say good cheese. You don't understand what good cheese is until you have it. Like there's a difference between Cracker Barrel cheddar, sharp cheddar, and a three-year aged sharp cheddar. And you need less. Like when you're eating those cheap cheeses, you need more to get the flavor. When you're eating a really sharp or an aged Gouda and it's got crystals in it or a blue cheese that just blows your mind away. Like, so good cheese, unless you're lactose intolerant, I guess like, you know, I don't want anyone to die. And I'm going to say the third food is good salt. Trash the table salt that has the dextrose added to it. Get yourself some good salt. Redmond, real salt, <laughs> probably the one that I'm going to recommend. You know, not that I'm, you know, shilling for them, but it just tastes different. It really just tastes different. And th- I will say this as a keto person, like when you can't keep a lot of like barbecue sauces and things around, you start to become, your spice cabinet can start to get overwhelming. Right now, I probably have 12 or 13 different kinds of salt in my house. You know, so I don't just have Redmond. I also have probably have a truffle salt. I have a chipotle salt from Select Every Seasonings. I have gray sea salt. I have flake salt. I have smoked flake salt. Get yourself some good salt. Make sure there's no crap yeah. added to it. Yeah, Redmond's is one of my go-to. I just got my 10-pound bucket that came in the other day. So Nice. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm I'm a serious Redmond's guy. And also I use them to deal with the uh, leg cramps and things oh, like yeah. that. I, I found that sometimes I have to customize my electrolytes by upping mm. specific magnesium or, elect- or or potassium or sodium. So mm-hmm. I bought a thing of uh, potassium chloride, oh, nice. thing of magnesium powder, and then I'll just adjust as it goes up if I start getting leg cramps. Nice. So what is one health myth that you wish you can get rid of overnight keto is too restrictive it's bull it's bull crap go on hashtag keto on instagram and look at the food that people are eating keto is not too restrictive you're just thinking that it is also i would get rid of the health myth of you know i guess it's not a health myth i can't live without bread isn't really a health myth sounds good i live with carrie brown and right. so you know, come on we, we, we got ice cream we got right. what do you want we got it I was going to say, like, literally get one of Carrie's books, like, pecan pie, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there you go. What is something, if you could change it, something overnight in the medical field, Mm -hmm. the medical industry, if you could change something overnight, how it works, whatever, what would that be? Okay, this is, again, you know, keto cliche, 
but I would make every doctor get updated training on cholesterol. I think one of the most powerful things for me in 2017, I came down with pneumonia, was hospitalized the end of 2017 into 2018. I was in the hospital for 17 days. And at that point in my life, I had been about 20 plus years without a regular physician. So one of the things that my pulmonologist did when I was in the hospital, he was like, we're getting you a doctor because you're going to see not just me after this, you're going to see a doctor. So he helped me find a doctor. And one of the things that happened in that practice was, you know, I was a little wary of talking about keto with a doctor because I had heard horror stories and things along those lines was I talked keto with my doctor and he at first was a little wary when I went back for a six month checkup, he was keto himself and had lost 25 pounds and was very excited to talk about it. But even more so than that, there was another new doctor in his practice who was making it his life's mission to educate every doctor in the practice about cholesterol and how cholesterol should be interpreted and what testing should be done and that particle density matters and that it's more about the ratio than it is about specific numbers and that you should drop the language of good cholesterol and bad cholesterol from your dictionary and just talk about cholesterol as a number. So I would say I would, I would change the perspective on cholesterol. I recently interviewed, and the, the first episode is airing as we do this episode, uh, we do the interview, but I, I interviewed Tony Nico, and he is working with his mom with Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. outside, I, I went on and did a little research, and I found that a lot of people who have low cholesterol have a higher propensity for Alzheimer's and dementia, mm-hmm. not just diabetes or high blood sugar is a factor, but that cholesterol and low fat diets and use of statins can increase your, uh, your chances of having Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and dementia. So it's, uh, you know, cholesterol, despite what people, the fear people have it, cholesterol is a necessary thing for a human being to live. Mm-hmm. All right. So if somebody wants to reach out to you and get in touch with you and uh, possibly get some coaching, share their story, listen to your awesome podcast like I do, how do we get all the contact deets and information and all that? Sure. So for, we talked a lot about Instagram today. So I'll say Instagram, you can find me at Gourmet Goes Keto. You can find me on Twitter at Gourmet Goes Keto. But to be honest with you, I don't open that app a lot. Gives me headaches. But Instagram is probably my primal social place. Uh, you can also, if you're interested in coaching, go to theketoroad.com slash coach dash Mike. You can also just go to theketoroad.com in general. There's a blog on there that I write for. We just released a new PDF uh, that has kind of like a build your own ketogenic program. So if you're not looking to work with a coach or can't afford that right now, but you want to build a well-measured plan that thinks about mindset and goal setting and all of that, we put together a nice piece of work for that. You can also, like you said, listen to my podcast, The Fat Guy Forum. I'm on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the things. And you can email the show at thefatguyforum at gmail.com. If you're interested in coming on the show and sharing your story, it is a show that is primarily, you know, I share the stories of men. So that is... Sometimes people get a little, little get their hankles up about that a little bit, but it's for men. So if you're a man out there that wants to come on and talk about your story, drop me a DM on Instagram or email the show at the fat guy forum at gmail.com. Yeah. Well, Daisy's got the women covered. So Daisy right. Brackenhall from the Keto Women's Podcast, she's got the women covered. So, and, well, and there's a few other women's podcasts yeah, out there. Yeah, there, there's several out there. So, you know, and I do I, think, I do think someday I've said I would someday do a special series. I would love at some point to talk to the women in the lives of some of the men that I've been on the show. I feel like that would be really interesting. I was talking to uh, Jim from the keto man's club mm-hmm. on the show. And the point we made was, 
I think everybody needs a place where they can identify themselves in the group that's there. And that's if you're a woman, you know, going toward a woman's podcast and sharing things that generally women deal with that guys wouldn't understand. And the same thing with guys, we need a place to go where we could share and talk about things that maybe the women wouldn't understand, or we wouldn't talk about mixed company. And that's what I love is because the majority of my audience is women. And (laughs) I get feedback all the time that they didn't understand that men dealt with some of these things that they talk about with their female friends all the time, because men don't talk about it. So I just like the idea that I get these guys to talk about these things that women need to be hearing too. Yeah. And it's pretty awesome. And I do recommend people to go listen to the show. It's a great resource in a lot of different ways. Not only does it give you an idea of several different approaches to take, but the fact that it's just the stories of of what guys are going through that you might relate to something there that it might speak to you as far as help giving you drive to continue forward or to explore a new path. It's a great way to go. It is one that is in my constant podcast feed too. So, Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. No problem, man. All right, everybody. I am going to be closing out. I want to thank all of our Patreons for keeping the lights on and everything moving. So if you want to become a Patreon uh, supporter, you can support us as, as low as a buck a month all the way up to the top tier levels and get all kinds of cool swag and, and access to different things that Carrie and I are doing in the keto verse. Go to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown and go check that out. I also need some reviews to read on air. So if you guys will leave a review down below, that would be fantastic. And also check out Carrie Brown's ice cream masterclass, which is going on. You can get on and learn how to make some of the best keto ice creams you will ever have. There's nothing like these ice creams on the market and you make them at home. You can make some great things like Mighty Moose Tracks. You can make the keto version of Rocky Road ice cream complete with marshmallows. You can make the Sassy Goat with the goat cheese and strawberry compote. And if you want to go full Ben and Jerry, you can make the cherry chocolate chunk, which tastes just like Cherry Garcia. All right, everybody. As always, I implore you, there is enough negativity out in the world. Don't keep it going. Be nice. Be kind to one another and spread some goodness out there. Spread some support to one another. Cheer each other on. Thank you for joining us on the Fatty Joe Show. Be sure to leave a comment and subscribe. It helps the show reach more people. To support the show, as well as Carrie Brown and Yogi's work on the blog, Keto Recipe Development, Masterclasses, and to gain access to private Facebook groups and other awards, go to patreon.com slash the fatty Joe show or patreon.com slash Carrie Brown. Also check out our Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker YouTube channel for video versions of the fatty Joe show recipe videos and more. Join our awesome community on the Facebook group, the keto kitchen with Carrie Brown and Yogi Parker and check out our carriebrown.com website for recipes blog posts, discounts, cookbooks, masterclasses, and other great stuff. Thank you so much.